Uh, Scott did mention being part of the breakout session, so we are going to have breakout sessions later tonight where you're going to have the opportunity to ask questions and interact with Scott and some others in a little more of a personal basis, so that is coming up. Um, but uh, before that, we are going to hear from Kristen Carey, uh, co-founder of Living Truth in Indianapolis on parenting and protecting our kids in a pornified culture. Uh, Kristen has spoken here at a Porn Kills conference before, and we're really glad to have you back. So good to be here with you guys. Thanks. All right. So from the looks of the audience, I'm going to guess that there's not a ton of parents here tonight. Raise your hand if you are not a parent. Good. Okay. The reason why I think that's good is because most of you look like you're not a parent because of your age, because you're too young. And you're not quite there in the stage of life yet. Well, this is a great time to start talking about shaping the next generation's uh, sexual character. Because what happens is a lot of times churches will want me to come and speak to um, high school-aged parents. And I'm kind of like, yeah, sure, but it's too late. I mean, it's like we've got to start thinking about shaping our kids' sexual character when they're really young. Can you guys make a guess of like what age we would recommend that we start talking about topics related to sexuality with kids? Two, six, ten. I'm hearing the gamut. Yeah. Um, the first book in the series that I have that's out there for display, um, if you guys want to check it out after the session, is for kids ages three to five. So, um, this is something we got to start talking about really young. The problem is parents don't think it's anything they should be even starting to talk about until maybe middle school. And by then, it really is too, too late to start. Um, however, don't despair. If you are the parent of a high school or middle schooler, do we have any high school or middle school parents here tonight? Yeah, it's okay. I mean, like... Any time is a good time to start having these kinds of conversations with our kids, um, but there's got to be a huge paradigm shift. So I want to introduce you guys to my family. So, you know, I'm in the trenches with you. Like, we've got the whole gamut here. So there's my husband, Michael. Our daughter, Abby, just turned 16. So I am the parent of a teenager. My son, Josiah, just turned, or he's 12 and a half. So I'm the parent of a middle schooler. And then Ella, the little fiery redhead in the front, is five, and so she just started kindergarten. So I really got the gamut and am in the trenches as a parent trying to figure out how to navigate this very pornified culture that we live in and raise kids who have the tools and knowledge that they need without overexposing them. That is one of parents' greatest fears in talking about these topics with their kids is like, well, what if I expose my kids to stuff that like they are not ready for yet? Okay, I'm going to share some statistics with you guys. Some of this may overlap with stuff Lisa's shared, but 90% of kids age 8 to 16 have viewed pornography online. Most of them, it's while they've been doing homework, and the majority, the first time they see pornographic material, they're not looking for it. It goes looking for them, because this is an industry that is trying to generate lifelong users. And the younger a kid will get exposed, the more likely they will get addicted for a lifetime. Um, 
This is a picture about a year and a half ago of my son and his friends. So he's the one in the middle with the blue shirt. These are all 10-ish, 11-ish year old boys, okay? Because I wanted you to get in your head with this, what the quote that I'm going to read, like what age kid this is talking about. So in the last five years, a well-known addiction coach has received close to 200 calls from 10 to 14-year-old uh, boys who want to stop watching porn but haven't been able to on their own. So this is pre-adolescent, pre like they haven't even started puberty, but really young boys. Um, one big factor involved is that in today's youth, more believe that not recycling is usually or always wrong than those that believe that viewing pornography is usually or always wrong. So there's a big shift in terms of even thinking there could be a problem with this. I think the talks you've heard before me have well established why pornography kills, why it's a problem. Um, and so the fact that most teens and young people don't believe this is a problem is a huge reason why our culture is going in the direction it's going in, why and this is so rampant. I really want to emphasize the fact that this is not just a boy's issue. Like if you have daughters, you can't just go, gosh, thank God I don't have to talk about this. No, this is a huge problem among girls. It's far more hidden because the shame is far higher for girls because it's supposed to be the thing that only guys struggle with. It's, it's a myth, it's a myth, 33% of girls age 13 to 24 view pornography at least once a month. Um, and that is um, a two-year-old, almost three, because it came out in January of 2015, um, statistics. So that number will continue to rise because pornographers are actually targeting females more and more with different types and genres of pornography to rope in. It's like an untapped audience for them. So the younger a girl gets exposed to porn, the more her brain will become wired more visually and more of a male type wiring in her brain and in her sexual template. So it's just as addictive to girls as it is to boys. That is a huge uh, myth that we need to bust. Um, I, am, I am wondering if this is the correct, uh, is, this, is this called Liberate? Okay, well, you know what? It is then. I just, there's a couple extra slides in here that I wasn't planning on. Okay, what I want to talk to you guys about um, is the, the greatest antidote ever to um, sexual problems in our kids, in our teens, in our young adults, is, is not the parent having the perfect words to say and the perfect timing, but it's close connected relationships between kids and their parents. Um, so we try to take our kids on like dates every other week, one-on-one, -on -one, just to open up this line of communication between us and our kids. And we've also talked about our own failures and struggles age appropriately, like my 16-year-old mostly. Um, and in a, allowing an avenue for like, we talk about brokenness in our family, we talk about pain, we talk about struggles, we talk about how it's very common to use our sexuality as a way to medicate our pain and our brokenness and that is an immature way of handling our pain and our brokenness and trying to teach our kids more healthy ways of handling pain and difficulty in life. So I'm gonna show you guys a, a video clip that I think really well represents um, the nature of the, 
the sex talk that a lot of us end up having with our parents, if at all. But before I show you the clip, and if you guys could cut the lights for this clip, that would be awesome. But my question for you guys is, there's three categories that I'm going to ask you guys about of how your parents handled the topic of sexuality. So one category is you never, they never talked to you about it. Another category is um, they had the one awkward talk with you that you wished would have never happened. And then the third category is you had open, honest, ongoing dialogue about sexuality in your family. So I'm going to have you raise your hands and then feel free to take a look around. It is really interesting. Um, so raise your hand if you're in the first category and this was never a topic that was brought up in your family. I'd say that's a majority, yep. And then how about number two, you had the talk, the awkward, dreaded talk. That's possibly a little bit more, okay? It's probably about 50-50 so far of the audience. And then let's see, ongoing, open, honest conversation in your families. Uh, that's a, it's a, probably half a dozen, maybe, maybe eight. That's a lot. You guys are very well... Um, informed by your parents. Good job, parents, of those who raise their hands. But um, let's face it, the majority of us either have no sex education at home or we have something kind of like this. This is from the movie Twilight, by the way, in case you're wondering, what is this masterpiece? Um, is it not? Oh, that would stink, wouldn't it? Yeah, rats. Okay, well, it's a really funny clip where Bella's dad, do you guys remember this? Okay, he like, he's like, so um, if you're going to have a boyfriend, you know, you might want to be careful. And I mean, like, he's like covering his face in shame. You guys remember? Okay, it's super awkward. And then she says something like, Dad, you don't have to worry about that. He, Edward's like old school. And he just goes, Old school, great. What's that? Like code for something? Like he thinks she's talking about some kind of sexual act. She's like, God, Dad, I'm a virgin, okay? And he covers his ears when she says the word virgin, virgin, like it's a bad word. And he goes, ah, da, 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 that's enough. It's so super awkward. I'm sure you could get on YouTube and type in Twilight, Bella and her dad, awkward sex talk, and the clip would come up. Maybe not, though. Be careful. Never type in sex in YouTube. Scratch that idea. Okay. So, um, okay, so we have to have a huge paradigm shift about the sex talk. Like, most of you who aren't parents, you probably haven't even thought about this yet. But this is actually really, it, when I did this talk at IWU, um, and it was like no parents there either. And at first, Brooke, who's leading this conference, and it was like, sorry, there's like no parents here. I don't know how relevant this is going to be. And I was like, oh, well, I'll just do it anyways. And I had a lot of college students approach me later, and they were like, this is so helpful because my parents didn't do this. And there is a big disconnect because we have a bunch of digital immigrants like me raising digital citizens like you guys and there is a big disconnect in terms of knowing what you guys even have experienced and encountered by growing up in the digital age. So, okay, the question, why 
is it so hard to talk about this topic? Why do you guys think parents either avoid or they try to do it as little as possible talking about sexuality with their kids? Awkward, yes. They never, it was never done for them, so they don't know what to say. What else? Uninformed, yeah, they, like, they, they may not know, oh, I have a daughter that, you know, that could still mean pornography is a struggle. Like, uninformed about the nature of what's out there and what people are facing today. What else? Shame, yes, and then? Because it makes the parents feel gross to talk about it? Like they're afraid that the kid is gonna feel squeamish or they feel squeamish or both? Both, yes. I was just talking to another mom who wants to volunteer to work in the, the group that I lead for teen girls at my church in, in Indy. And she was like, let's face it, this is so embarrassing. You guys, I'm so desensitized. I say words like masturbation and like don't even bat an eye because it's like what I talk about, you know. So, but yeah, it is embarrassing and makes people squeamish. So, but we have to do it. Like, if we're not going to be the ones to talk to our kids about sexuality, Hugh Hefner and his entourage will be more than ha happy. You guys know who Hugh, Hugh Hefner is, right? You young people, you. He is dead, but his legacy lives on. I mean, he is the one who, you know, made pornography this gentleman's pursuit and more mainstream. Um, okay, so there's three major shifts we have to have. You guys take notes because one day you will be parents. And you can call me too um, if, you need, if you need help when that time comes. So we have to have shifts in our frequency, our approach, and our involvement. So frequency is number one. Gone are the days when we could potentially have the one awkward talk. Um, we have to be willing to start younger than we think we should and more frequently than we would probably be comfortable with. But I will tell you this, if you start younger, it's less weird for your kid. And the more weird you are when you're talking about it with your kid, the more awkward it is for them. It is such an open topic in our family. Sometimes I'm caught very off guard by the things my kids will say. Like my, when my 16-year-old was about 14, and it had been about a year since I had taken her away for a weekend when we went camping and we like, we used Passport to Purity, which is a great resource that Family Life Ministry puts out. And we listened to these CDs with these like really cheesy songs. They were, it was, and like talks that where it was explained, everything was explained on CD and then we went through, did fun, some fun activities. Um, that was before, right before she turned 13. And from that point on, she has just openly talked about all this stuff. It's just not weird anymore. I have to hide my shock sometimes with what she says, but um, it's nothing like off or inappropriate. It's just how open she is. Um, so we have to change our frequency. Um, oh, and it needs to be, we need to be open to discussing all the issues that kids are facing today. For example, not to try to make you guys uncomfortable by saying this, but um, you know, when I was a teen, when I was a teenager, I sound like I'm an old lady. When I, back when I was growing up, I don't know any 
buddy who was where where having anal sex was a thing or was like common and now it was was it teen vogue or cosmo do you know lisa that one of those either teen vogue or teen teen cosmo one of those like mainstream magazines just came out with a whole article about anal sex and why that's a good idea when you're a teen to avoid pregnancy and this and that and the other they, of course high disease still huge factor um i mean I did, that was not something that my parents ever would have even needed to talk to me about when I was a kid. So when I say frequency, um, I'm not just talking about like the basic of what is intercourse, but like to be aware and be careful, don't go do internet searches to become aware of what is what our kids are facing today. But it is important to know that that is something that's being encouraged that you know parties where group sex is happening is not uncommon these are things that I and I'm 43 I it's not like I was a teenager like five decades ago I mean it was but it was not even a conversation or any kind of a, a thing when I was growing up so there's a huge shift and parents need to be aware um, of what their kids are facing so that's about the frequency our approach, okay? I kind of was growing up in the abstinence movement days of like, um, especially once I got into college where it was like, um, well, definitely when I was in high school, it was just say no to drugs. And then, and then that was the big push. And then when I was like in college, it was like, you know, wear a purity ring, get, um, just don't have sex before you're married. And it was, all the reasons why STDs pregnancy it was a very fear-based approach and there's so much um, in your face sexuality in our culture today we really have to shift um, to the frequency being a lot and to our approach being one of joy um, sex was God's idea right pretty sure he he's the one who created it and it is good he said it was not good for man to be alone he created Adam and Eve I mean this is all his design and so when our approach is one of joy instead of fear um, it it just can open the door for our kids to go like I don't have to be afraid and I don't have to just don't have sex out of fear I can I can um, treasure my heart and treasure my body as a gift from God so it's a very different approach when we look at it from an angle of joy instead of fear and then finally our level of involvement I mean we talked today about helicopter parents and sometimes parents can be like over involved in their kids activities and things like that hovering and certainly there could be an over control in the area of technology and whatnot but I think the vast majority of parents err on the side of oblivious and under monitoring what their kids are involved with online and who they're spending time with and what they're exposed to so it's important to know one of the main we think that if we talk to our kids when they're young about pornography and sexuality that um, they will go looking for more but interestingly enough one of the main reasons kids seek porn is for sex education because they feel like they're not getting the information they need and they have questions so it's actually the opposite approach um, I like to rely on experts to know what to say when because I, I mean I'm not a psychologist I don't I don't have a degree in child development other people do and so there's great 
resources out there that are written um, from a developmentally appropriate vantage point. And these are some great resources. Good Pictures, Bad Pictures is a book for kids age 7 to 11. So those of you who don't have kids, even if you have cousins, if you has, have nieces and nephews, if you have kids in your like, life that you love, I would encourage you to share some of what you're learning today with the parents. And watch the reaction because the majority of parents are very reluctant at the, top, at the thought of bringing this topic up with their kids. Um, but the reality is that as soon as a parent sends their child away from them for any length of time, whether it's on a school bus or at daycare or at a friend's house, anywhere where there's internet, there is a very high chance that that child will get exposed to pornography. So good pictures, bad pictures, and then um, a new book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Junior, which was just released in the last year. Um, those really developmentally appropriately explain to kids what pornography is and what to do when they get exposed. So we're also not assuming if they get exposed, but when. It's only a matter of time. And it gives them strategies to use to know, too, that you will be a safe place for them to come, even if they've looked at it multiple times. Explains to them why it's something that you feel like you want to keep looking at and that it's not because you're bad, but because of the nature of what's happening in the brain. So Good Pictures, Bad Pictures is for kids 7 to 11, and Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Junior is for kids 3 to 6 years old. Yeah. My, my daughter was like watching Let It Go, you know, from Elsa Frozen, on YouTube when she was like two. She's five now, so it was three years ago. And you know what the ad was on YouTube? It was for Fifty Shades of Grey. It was the trailer for Fifty Shades of Grey. I was appalled. Fortunately, there is YouTube Kids, which is good because they, you know, they monitor the ads. But, I mean, it's like even my two-year-old, under my nose, is getting um, hit with this stuff. So on the left is a series of books that are put together by Nav Press about, uh, it's called the God's, God's Design for Sex series. And I have some of those out there on the table for display also. As our kids get older and we are looking at our preteens and teens, um, a great resource is Passport to Purity. On the right, that is, that is a picture of Abby and I on our getaway, um, our camping getaway. We were not rolling in the mud. That was our blindfolded makeover. We had to throw some fun in to the you know, awkward top topics of conversation, which, by the way, since this was the first time we really talked about, about actual sex, um, when she realized that's what we were going to do, she curled up in a ball in fetal position in the car. And a car is a good way to do this, by the way, because you're, like, looking forward, you know. And she, like, but she, like, curled up like she was traumatized. And I seriously was like, oh, my gosh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Like, I, this is so uncomfortable. And I, I just pushed, I pushed through, and I was like, no, I'm the parent. This is my job. I'm doing this. I don't care if she's awkward and uncomfortable. But throwing in some fun and joy in the middle of it. So she, like, put a blindfold on and then, like, had a thing of makeup right there and, like, basically did my makeup without being able to see. That has absolutely nothing to do with purity. It was just fun. I'm sure there could be great analogies. But, um, you know, the connection that we built, like, that weekend, and she's actually my stepdaughter. Um, and we, we had a tumultuous relationship when her dad and I first married when she was nine. But that weekend changed our relationship completely. And now we're really, really close. Um, 
So it's, it, it's amazing the joy that can come from actually engaging about these topics. Fight the New Drug, awesome resource for you college students too and high school students. They have a free um, recovery program for high school and college students to overcome pornography. Um, there's also great tools out there. If, if you're interested in more resources, parenting resources, resources for helping shape the next generation's sexual character, or you just want to learn more about our ministry, I have a sign-up out um, by the books. Okay, and then our, our approach. You guys, um, and when we're thinking about shaping our teens' sexual, sexual character, we have to come at it from a joy um, motivator for why you why your purity and why your sexuality is so sacred and powerful and a gift instead of just being afraid and telling kids don't do that and just don't have sex like as if that is what purity means um, there has to be a big shift in who we're staying pure for um, and then we also have to address what happens when we make mistakes and are no longer pure. Okay, this is a picture of me at 28 years old on my wedding day. Um, I was a virgin. I had saved, my parents had taught me to save sex for marriage, and I did. Um, about a year after I got married was when I found that my husband at the time had been looking at pornography throughout the marriage. Um, and then another year and a couple months later, when I was pregnant with our first child, was when I found out that he had continued looking at pornography and that he had actually gotten sexually involved with a student in our ministry. We were in college ministry. And I was devastated. My whole world shattered. It, it, it traumatized me and shook me to the core. And um, it was like, what? I, I felt so duped and deceived, and I also felt like my whole motivator of saving myself for my husband, it really did a number on my faith, and it really did a number on my heart. It really crushed me, and I really think it's important to talk to young people about your purity being because of your self-respect and because of your devotion to Jesus not for another person who is fallible and broken. So I think that's a really important, and, and that's important for you guys who are not married to think about, like, what are you staying pure for? Because if you think, oh, then I give it to this person I'm going to marry, like, as if they're going to be your savior, it's a, that is not going to happen. Um, so... Also, thinking about what happens when we make mistakes and are no longer pure. I mean, um, is, our, is, is Jesus not the restorer? Is he not our healer? He can, he can, is that me making that noise? The, can he not make all things new? So, and to me, that's not a license to, like, just go screw, screw, screw around. Because whatever you, whatever you choose to do with your sexuality, with that power that God has given you, it will impact you. It, you carry it in your soul. But if we have bro broken um, sexuality, which we all do to some degree, um, Jesus can restore. So I've met so many young girls who were, were sexually assaulted and by no fault of their own, lost their purity 
is how they're looking at it. When I'm like, no, it was stolen from you. And out of that, well, it's gone. My purity's gone. They have gone on to become promiscuous, thinking, well, it's, it's gone. What, what would I save it for anyways? And um, so when we're thinking about shaping kids' sexual character, we have to, first of all, equip them with the knowledge that sexual assault is not their fault. And also with the fact that there is no shame in coming forward and saying, this happened to me and I need help. And then finally, with the idea that like, when we make mistakes, there is forgiveness, there is restoration, and there is healing. So we just have to come out into the light with it. And then finally, we have to shift our involvement. I won't go into too much detail because we're about to go into breakout sessions in about five minutes here. But um, if, if you are a parent and this is something you want more information about, one idea is to take out your smartphone and take a picture of my slide. The other idea is to sign up on my list out in the um, lobby area um, because I can send you some of these resources. There's like media contracts that you can do with your, with your kids and everybody talks about all the different apps and what's allowed and what's not and how much time. Um, we, my husband was in the computer programming industry, so I'm really grateful that he's super tech savvy and he shuts my daughter's phone down from like three to five so she can do homework. He shuts it all down. She hates it. And then like at a certain time every night and monitors like how much time she gets on um, Instagram, like I think she gets 45 minutes a day or something. Um, and, and then it shuts off. And he uses Circle by Disney to do that. Um, so there's a lot of great resources out there. iParent.tv is a good way to keep up with the ever-changing app trends. <clears throat> um, OpenDNS is also my, my best recommendation for all of you, you know, even if you don't have kids, for um, blocking and filtering. Um, however, it's not foolproof. Nothing is. S filtering can be a really good tool, um, and it's, I love it for protecting my kids, but you can still see stuff on Google Images. I mean, if somebody wants to see porn, they will. So it's not enough to just use filtering, but it can be a good thing. Um, OpenDNS is our favorite. We don't get paid by them, by the way. I just think that's what we use. And so they have one that where it just shuts down um, pornography from entering your home. I can't even get on victoriasecret.com. It's great. I mean, like, you, you, you know, you can't, nothing like that. Um, there's one that just shuts it down for your house at the wireless router level. And then they also have a plan that you can, that'll actually work on your individual devices when they leave the home, like your iPhone. Um, we, on our website, living-truth.org, um, we have a uh, link for teens, and you can get on there and learn how to, like, lock down your child's Apple device. So not lock it down, like, so they can't ever use it, but, you know, put on parental restrictions. My husband's favorite is to, like, not, to somehow make it so that my daughter cannot delete an app that she has downloaded. So it teaches her to have some level of self-control to think through, like, what is this app? And do I want this? Or if my dad sees this, what will he, how will he react? And um, so it builds in some, some of her own impulse control. Um, when our kids are exposed to pornography, 
there's a three-part process, or if you or somebody you love has, has been exposed. Um, the first one is to there, a three-part process for restoration. One is um, if whatever we discover or whatever they disclose, knowing it's important to know that it will 99.9% .9 chance not be the whole story. Um, and then making an assessment, which I think is really important to do with a professional that works in the area of sexual addiction, of how serious this is and where, how far it's gone. And then developing a long-term plan um, to help your child or to help yourself. And it's been mentioned, you know, we can't do it alone. We have to be in a group context. Um, I love this image of Jesus and his, like, embracing a child and I think that's how he he sees us and picture yourself as that child and if you decide tonight or anytime in the near future or ever to say I'm going to deal with this I have a problem and I want to be honest about this this is Jesus's response and I think that's really important um, posture to have towards our kids or towards our friends um, when they say they have a problem um, I think it's really important to not be like <gasps> To, to not be shocked by it, um, but to, to, and also to not look at this as this person must be perverted, but to look at it as a symptom of a deeper heart issue. Um, in the assessment process, um, it's important to, to have a counselor. I mean, Lisa is an awesome counselor in this area. There's probably some others too. My husband and I do mentoring in Indianapolis, but we also do a lot of stuff over the phone. So if this is something you want to talk further about, don't hesitate to get in touch with me. I'll leave some of my cards out on the front um, table also and um, involve a professional in that process. Um, it's also important to develop a long-term multidimensional plan to help your child. Um, this is not just a spiritual issue. It's spiritual, physical, emotional, social, did I leave out a dimension of who we are? If I did, include that too, okay? Because it, it, it involves every level of who we are. Um, teaching them about their identity in Christ. Teaching them about spiritual warfare and how not every thought that comes into their mind and, and not every temptation is, originates from themselves. And showing them the love of Christ, sometimes that's not by just letting them off the hook, but sometimes by putting up boundaries is the way we show the love of Christ. Um, emotionally, think about whether they need counseling. Do they have coexisting conditions? Like, did you guys know that a higher percentage of people with ADHD struggle with pornography addiction? There's certain things about the brain in certain contexts. A lot of people use it to medicate depression. And of course, then it ends up making them more depressed. But it's important to address those other issues, um, emotional or mental health issues, in order to find victory and become, being emotionally available to the people that we love, whether they're friends or kids, when they're struggling. Um, relationally, making sure for ourselves or our kids that we're getting them connected and involved with other people who struggle as well in a grace-filled environment, setting up boundaries for them. Um, if if, if you or your kids have exposed somebody else to pornography, enlisting the help of a counselor or a pastor, if, if they're knowledgeable, like here at this church, um, 
to make amends and to begin a restoration process for whoever else has been impacted by the struggles also important. And then physically, we've talked about the impact on the frontal lobe. The, the brain can be rewired and helping to rewire their brain, um, teaching them things like gratitude, using gratitude, um, making sure they're getting exercise, adequate sleep and nutrition. You'd think, what does that have to do with porn? Well, a lot. I mean, it really does. If, if a person is exhausted, their temptation level is going to go up. Um, if a person is not exercising, their, their brain is going to be looking for a hit in some other way. And pornography is readily available. So um, thank you guys so much for uh, having me here. My husband and I, um, our ministry is called Living Truth. We have a Facebook page and a website. And we exist to be a resource to help people who are struggling with sexual brokenness and to equip parents to empower the next generation to face our pornified culture. So thanks a lot for having me here.